Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. today, and if you have a Bible, I'd love to invite you to open up to uh, Acts, I almost said August, Acts chapter 6, and uh, we're going to look at a few different uh, passages of scripture throughout the book of Acts, and uh, since it's Father's Day, I, I want to talk about leaving a legacy. I don't know if this is every dad, but uh, for me, I think a lot about what kind of life am I going to leave behind for my kids if you're a dad, you don't even need to be a dad. If you're a father figure, uh, even this is, applies to women as well. If you're raising children, if you're mentoring people, if you're a teacher, if you have kids in your neighborhood, if you work uh, at, in a job where you've got people younger than you coming up, you want to be thinking about leaving a legacy. You want to think about leaving a legacy. I don't know if you ever think about that, but you do want to think about that. And you're like going, I'm just trying to survive and get to the evening right now. I don't have time to think about what's going to happen 100 years from now. That's someone else's problem. But it, it matters greatly. I don't know if you've ever thought about what would it be like, at, what's it going to be like after you die? Have you ever thought about what it could be like to read your own obituary and, and say, like, what are people going to remember me for? You ever thought about that? I have a, a mentor who likes to go spend time with God in cemeteries, and I thought it was the weirdest thing in the world. And then he goes, well, it, it helps me remember my life is short. And I got to do everything I can to make an impact. And I was like, wow, that's really, maybe I should go, I'm not going to go pray in a cemetery. That's, that's me. But, but I, seriously, though, we, we want to be thinking, like, what, what are people going to remember me for? What kind of life am I leaving behind for my kids, if I'm a dad or a mom? What kind of life am I leaving behind for my friends, for my neighbors, for my church, for my workplace? Whatever matters to you in the world, whatever God has assigned you to, what kind of legacy am I going to leave behind? There's a story of Alfred uh, Nobel, who, I don't know why it's not coming up on the screen. Oh, interesting. I had a picture of Alfred Nobel up there, and I don't know why it's not showing up. But uh, Alfred Nobel, who you probably know from the Nobel Peace Prize, right? He wasn't always known for the Nobel Peace Prize. There's a story in the late 1880s, uh, and this is before the Nobel Peace Prize was established, he was reading uh, the newspaper one morning, and he opened up to the obituary section because he was going to read his brother's obituary. His brother had just passed away. And terrifyingly, he began to read this obituary that was actually about him. The newspaper had confused which brother had died. And so they'd written up this whole obituary about Alfred Nobel, and the title across the top was The Merchant of Death. Some of you might not know this, but he was the founder of dynamite, the inventor of dynamite. He, did you know that? He, some, people, people, some people know that. Some people don't. Um, I had forgotten that, and so when I read the story again, I was shocked. So up to this point, he'd made tons and tons of money off of dynamite, selling dynamite for its value, uh, for mining, for other purposes. But so many people were dying because it was so incredibly volatile. And so he was known in this obituary as the merchant of death. And he immediately was just full of shock and horror. And he goes, is this how people are going to remember me? 
And that's when he began to lay the groundwork. He, he took all of his fortune, all of the money that he'd gotten from this life of uh, inventing dynamite, and he invested it and started the uh, foundation that would launch the Nobel Peace Prize. To be a place of uh, celebrating people who are working for peace, who are working for uh, the prosperity of the whole world and for all people. And, and so that became known, what he became known for. Most people don't realize he created dynamite and invented dynamite, and he wanted to change his legacy. What kind of legacy would you have if your obituary was written today? Would you like the obituary? Would you be like, it's fine? Would you be really proud of what's in your obituary? What would that be like? What would it be like? What is your legacy going to be like that you leave behind? What kind of impact are you going to have on people you'll never see? The scriptures actually talk about this idea. It says in Proverbs that a righteous person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. Now, that can include money, but if we just think about the way we carry our lives, the way we deal with our lives, that can include so much more than money. It's, it's saying to us that godly people are thinking about the impact they're going to have on generations beyond them. Are you thinking about the impact your life's going to have on generations two to three removed from you? 50, 100 years from now, maybe people you'll never even meet. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that the scriptures say this is what righteous people do? This is what godly people do. People who follow Jesus are thinking about their long-term legacy and heritage, what kind of impact they're going to have. How can we be people that leave that kind of legacy? How can that be us? Now, if you're like me, uh, especially if you're a dad of little kids, we'll, we'll take the Father's Day angle here for a minute, um, you're just trying to get them to nap time and then bedtime because then you can nap if it's a Saturday or you can get all the things done that you desperately needed to do while they were awake. Anyone feel me on that? You're, you're not thinking about uh, what's going to happen with them 100 years down the road, 50 years down the road. A lot of times we, we stop thinking about the future, stop thinking about impact, stop thinking about legacy because we're tired, we're overwhelmed, we're confused. Uh, we're honestly not sure if what we're offering is any good. You ever feel like that? Not just the fathers in the room, but everyone. You ever feel like what you've got to offer is, is kind of inadequate? And you're like, is this good? Is this enough? I, I don't know what I'm doing. What, how can I leave a legacy? Look at how much uh, of a mess that I've got behind me. Look at how much confusion I'm living in right now. How can I leave a legacy? What, what can I do for my kids, my neighborhood, my, my family, my coworkers? What can I do that's going to leave a legacy? Is that even possible for me? But here, here's what I believe the, the stories that we're going to look at today in the scriptures teach us. I think it teaches us that when we faithfully follow the Spirit, we are guaranteed to leave a legacy that impacts future generations. When we faithfully follow the Spirit, we will leave a legacy that impacts future generations. I've got no slides at all. Can you guys help me? There we go. Thank you. We're guaranteed to leave a legacy when we faithfully follow the Spirit. So since it's Father's Day, I, I want to look at the story of a father who faithfully followed the Spirit all throughout the book of Acts. We're going to look at a guy by the name of Philip. Philip was one of the, the seven, uh, maybe they call them deacons in some, in some translations, the seven uh, people that were chosen to wait on tables. 
I'll explain what that means in a minute. Philip was one of these people in Acts chapter 6 that's asked to do this. And, and actually, throughout the whole book of Acts, you see Philip pop up in a few different places and a few different stories throughout Acts. So I want to just look really quickly at these little vignettes of his life, just little snapshots of what was happening and, and what it looked like for him to faithfully follow the Spirit and how that left a legacy. So just a little bit of context before we get into this with the book of Acts. Are you all with me? Everyone's thinking about barbecues after, I know. Um, so here, here's, here's what I want to just give you for some context. The book of Acts, if you think about the whole book of Acts, it didn't take place in like, you know, eight days or like a month or like two years or something. This book takes place over a lifetime. This is not like a, an exact science, but roughly you can think about Acts chapter 5 maybe happened about five years after Pentecost. Acts chapter 10 was probably maybe 10 years after Pentecost. Acts chapter 20 is maybe at least 20 years after Pentecost. So like there's a lifetime of stuff happening uh, in these stories. And at different points, it really zeroes in and you're seeing a lot more kind of speeds up the story. And then the next story you hear about could be years later. So, so you got to understand that. So when we're looking at Philip's life in Acts, like it's happening over this long period of life. I think sometimes when we think about leaving a legacy, it's important to look at a whole life. Because if we look at a season we're in, we could either think we're way better than we actually are, uh, or we are going to really like, be shaming ourselves and down on ourselves, which isn't helpful either, right? So we want to look at our whole life as a whole, and I think that's what Philip helps us do. Um, so let's look at how Philip pops up in these different challenges and how he faithfully followed the Spirit to leave a legacy. So I'm going to look at three moments together about how he faithfully followed the Spirit. So the first moment we want to look at is how Philip faithfully followed the Spirit when there was injustice in his midst. So in Acts chapter 6, we see this crazy story. The church is growing. There's new believers coming. And we read this in Acts chapter 6. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, that's who we're talking about today. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So let's look at this. Philip left a legacy because he was faithful to the Spirit's leading with injustice. So here's what's happening here. Uh, the church is growing. There's all these people coming. Uh, and at this point in the church's history, there's two different groups of believers. There are the Jewish believers who are ethnically and culturally Jewish. And then you have the Greek believers who are uh, ethnically Jewish, most of them, but not all. But they are culturally Greek. 
So they spoke different language, they had different worldviews, and, and they were clashing with each other over one thing. The Greek-speaking widows were being ignored when it came to the distribution of food amongst the church. Widows could not go out and get a job in this culture. They were completely dependent on people around them uh, providing food for them, maybe family members, whatever it might be. And, and so here, we have a huge issue. The, these widows are saying, hey, we're being overlooked. There's a huge wrong being done to us. What is going to be done to change this? And, and so the apostles go, okay, we need to fix this problem. It's a problem that keeps happening over and over, and, and we need to figure out how we can solve this problem. So we're going to actually get culturally Greek Jews, not ethnically, uh, they're, ethnic, they're not the Jewish, culturally Jewish Jews. They're going to be part of the same group of people that these widows are being overlooked. And we're going to have them make sure everyone is getting the food to help right that imbalance a little bit. This is what they thought worked, and the whole church agreed, okay, this makes sense. So one of the people that gets invited in to do this is Philip. Now, I want you to notice this. All they're doing is essentially running a really big food pantry. They're running a really big food pantry. Uh, waiting on tables is the word that gets used sometimes to describe what they're doing. Uh, this is not a glorious job. It's not a cool job. It's not a shiny, sparkly job. They're just making sure people get food. Really simple. But here is what was important requirements for the people that were going to do this. They had to be full of wisdom and what? The Holy Spirit. They had to be individuals that were faithfully following the Holy Spirit. They, they couldn't have their own ideas about how this was supposed to work. Uh, they, they couldn't have their own ideas about, um, you know, let me figure this out on my own. They had to be so submitted to and yielded to and faithful to follow the Spirit when it came to addressing this injustice that they were going to gain their wisdom and gain how to do this well from the Spirit. They weren't going to try and figure this out with their own smarts or their own knowledge or, or what they would prefer to do. So in order to enter into this space, Philip had to be someone who was going to faithfully follow the Spirit. He had to faithfully follow the Spirit, even though uh, he was going to get probably mocked and criticized by the cultural and ethnically Jewish community. As a matter of fact, the, the persecution that breaks out right after this, where the whole church gets scattered and Saul, who would become Paul, starts killing people, a lot of that, most scholars uh, recognize and, and think that a lot of the reason that that persecution happened wasn't actually directed towards the culturally and ethnically Jewish believers. It was all directed towards the outsiders. Because you notice the, most of the uh, apostles were able to stay in Jerusalem. They didn't get uh, chased after at this specific time. They were specifically going after those who were deemed as different. And, and so this was a huge injustice that Philip was recognizing along with these others. And they had to wisely follow the Spirit into a space that was very uncomfortable and divisive a lot of times to be in. And they had to learn how to handle that with grace and with wisdom, following the Spirit. A lot of times when I think about injustice, I simply think about this. What are you seeing happen around you? And now I know you could watch the news, but let's bring it down to home in our own neighborhoods, things we can really put our hands on. What do you see happening right in our own neighborhood, right in our own town, that you look at and you go, that's not right. That's wrong. Some, something about this is off. Something, th why is there not enough food? 
why are people, why is the food pantry in, in West Milford getting overrun with requests? Why is there such a huge need for food? That's not right. What can be done? It's an injustice that you're called upon to, to react to and to serve a need. Uh, there's a huge uh, drug issue in, in West Milford. I just heard the story an, uh, a week ago about a 26-year-old man who, who overdosed. His, his drugs were laced with fentanyl. And there's more story after story of these kinds of things happening in our community. It's not right. What are we going to do to step into these places of injustice and, and of wrongdoing? What, are, what is going to be done with these kinds of things? And there's so many other things we could mention and talk about, but there's spaces, they're spaces of incredible discomfort often. Uh, often they're things that like, well, it's not, if it's not happening to me, we just get kind of passive about it. You ever kind of be like, oh, that's really sad, but then you just don't do anything? There's so many things and you, you read about, you hear about all the time. It's so easy to do that. But, but I find for myself, especially when it's something close to home, I, I've got to really take time to go, am I called to do something about this? Is the Spirit leading me? Is there a call for me to be faithful in that space, just like Philip was? And can I do something to right a wrong that's happening? My wife and I have been watching this documentary uh, on, uh, on Apple TV. It's about Eric Kahn, if any of you know this story. He, he was a lawyer in uh, uh, Kentucky who scammed the Social Security Agency out of over half a billion dollars, like a ton of money. And this is like very recent. I think it just wrapped up in like 2017, 2018. So we're watching this, and it's crazy. But when the Social Security Administration found out, we just watched this part of the documentary, uh, when, when the Social Security Administration found out what happened, instead of reviewing all these cases to see if people really had a real disability or not, they just revoked everyone's benefits right off the bat. And hundreds of people in a really, really poor community in Kentucky who could not work legitimately, were, were, had all sorts of disabilities, some of them were completely without the ability to move on their own without family members, suddenly lost any source of income and any hope for income that they have. And this one lawyer who heard about what had happened to Eric Kahn and how he had done this with all these people and gotten them disabilities, and some of them fraudulently, some of them had real disabilities, uh, he, he started to work cases pro bono. And he started to just help anyone he could because they couldn't afford it. And the Social Security Administration was asking everyone to pay back $150,000, $200,000 in, in, in this back payments because they said they wrongfully were receiving benefits, even when some of them were receiving them rightly. And so this lawyer was like, how am I going to handle these cases? He started getting all these calls and all these calls. And, and the story goes in the second half of, of, of this episode of the documentary, they talked about how he got an army of lawyers together from across the country. He's just like, this isn't right. This is wrong. And I am in a position to do something and I need to do something. And an army of lawyers from across the country came and showed up in this little town in Kentucky, and they took care of over 1,000 of these clients that had been uh, canceled benefits, and they got uh, almost half of them actually had real disabilities, and, and they got all of their benefits back very quickly, and they did it for not a cent. It made me go out loud, like, I might have to rethink how I think about lawyers now. This is very generous of them. Just a joke. Just a joke. But, but really, like when people step into a space and go, this isn't right. Something needs to be done about this. People really in need are, be, are, are not being looked after. This is wrong. How do we step into injustice? How do we allow the spirit to lead us into those spaces? It is actually impossible for you and I to leave a legacy 
if we are not willing to enter into the discomfort of injustice. It is impossible to leave a godly legacy unless we are willing to enter into those things. Now, you might be known in some circles for a few years and a long time, but I'm talking about leaving a righteous, godly legacy. You see, the people that are in the pages of Scripture, for the most part, were not people that anyone in their day and age would ever think anything of. Jerusalem is like the centerpiece of the biblical story. For most people in the ancient world, it was the armpit of the Middle East. But we look at it, oh, Jerusalem. People didn't care about Jerusalem in that day and age, but it's a righteous legacy of the people that were there. See, what you do now, it might seem like it fails, it might seem like discomfort, but when you are faithfully following the Spirit, when there is injustice that you're led into, you are guaranteed to be creating a godly legacy. Second, from Philip's life, uh, we learn that when we are following faithfully the Spirit, we're creating a legacy uh, when it comes to marginalized people. Very similar to, to what happened in the first, but let's look at a couple stories here. This is after the distribution of food's been going on for a while, and like I mentioned, Saul, who's known as Paul, he does not love what's happening here, and he begins to uh, systematically hunt down and kill the church leaders and the church community in Jerusalem, and they all run. And Philip is one of those who goes on the run. He's got to go on the run. He's got to get out of Dodge. He was helping serve these, this community, but now his life's in danger, and he runs. But the Spirit is still leading him. Just as a little bit of a side note, I want you to know that this guy's running for his life. It's a good time for him to think about number one, and he's doing anything but that. It says everywhere they went, they were still preaching the gospel. And so here's what it says in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. He was facing his own problems, didn't matter. He was still being faithfully led by the Spirit, and he was going to faithfully follow the Spirit because he knew that was what he needed to do. We'll get more into the significance of this in a second, but I want to share one other passage that has to do with a marginalized people because Samaria was not a place that Jewish people went to. There's one other story here just a few verses later in Acts 26, and it goes like this. After he was in Samaria, it says, Philip, Philip uh, had an angel of the Lord say to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. This is not part of the Roman Empire. It's a separate kingdom south of, of modern day Egypt. And that's just what Ethiopia was known as then, anything south of Egypt. So, so he started out, he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under uh, Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. And the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. And seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. That language is a little tame there. The Holy Spirit was basically like in the Greek language, like, hurry up and catch this guy. He matters to me. Verse 30, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Let's think about this for a minute. Two different stories 
Philip is on the run. He's got to make sure that he doesn't get killed. And the first thing he does is he's going to preach the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, wherever he goes. And he goes to Samaria. Now, Samaria wasn't just a place that Jews like thought ill of. They hated Samaria and they hated Samarians. As a matter of fact, they hated Samaria and Samarians so much that the easiest route for them to get up to Galilee, where the rest of the Jewish community lived, the easiest way to get there was to go on the highway that went right through the Samarian region. Fastest way. And you're traveling on foot for the most part, so you want to just get there as quick as you can, right? No, not the Jews. They hated the Samarians so much that they added like days to their journey going all the way around Samaria, through a desert, in the wilderness, up another road that was known to be filled with robbers and thieves. That was what they preferred to do instead of just passing right through Samaria. So that's the level of uh, of hate we're talking about. These people had no love for Samaritans. And the first thing Philip does is run into Samaria and start telling them about Jesus. The first thing he does. He is following the Spirit, and the Spirit is leading him to a people marginalized by the Jewish community. And then in the story about the Ethiopian treasurer, Philip is, is... led to go down to this road, and suddenly there's this guy who is the treasurer of Ethiopia going by. And we know this guy is really wealthy and really important because he's sitting in his carriage. Like, the carriage didn't stop. He's got a chauffeur. So, you know, if you've got a driver, you're probably doing okay. You're probably, if you've got a driver. I mean, I don't have a driver. My kids have a driver. They're doing okay. Uh, But... But right, you, you, if, if you're like, oh, you don't drive your own chariot, I see. You, you've got someone that drives it for you. So this guy's very well off. He, he's socially very powerful, politically very powerful, probably very wealthy. But there are some things about him that are very different from Philip. Uh, he's from a completely different universe. Uh, Ethiopia was the ends of the earth as far as the Jewish people were concerned and most of the Roman world. It was talked about as this exotic, far-off location. They're nothing like us. They would have had much darker skin than Philip. It was from a completely different social status and class, like I mentioned. Um, But the other thing that really marked him was the fact that he was a eunuch. And this is really important. Because because he would have been uh, castrated from uh, a young age... And he, so he would not have experienced uh, puberty and testosterone and all that. So he still would have looked very much like a child, but fully grown. And, and this was kind of normal in a lot of the royal courts. You could trust them because they weren't going to mess around uh, with, with the royal court family or any, any of the people there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they weren't particularly eager to take power. And socially, they weren't allowed to because they were deemed as kind of slightly less of a man. The other problem from a Jewish perspective is he could go and worship and be in the outer courts of the temple, but he would never experience full acceptance into the Jewish community. Why? He couldn't be circumcised. So he was on the outside looking in. Samaritans on the outside looking in, marginalized. This Ethiopian eunuch on the outside looking in. And one commentator put it this way. He said this Ethiopian eunuch in particular, he is the outer boundary of the possibility of Jewish existence. And there at that border, God will bring that difference near, very near to hearth of home in the spirit. Think about this. 
Philip's on the run. It's a good time to start thinking about himself, thinking about his own people, his own life, his own future family. And he's preaching the gospel to the people that are hated most by his people. And there's all sorts of powerful things that happen. People are getting set free from the demonic. He's healing people when he's there. The spirit falls on them just like everyone else. And then God's like, I've got another assignment for you. You're going to meet someone who's even more different than the Samaritans. And, and he goes and he meets these, this guy, this treasurer, and he shares the gospel with him. And he's like, hey, I should get baptized. He baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch and sends him on his way. Two people that were so on the edges, so outside of the perceived people of God. And God was saying, especially with the Ethiopian eunuch, hurry up and catch him. I want him. God desires you that way too, by the way. I want you that badly too. He's got to catch a chariot, Philip. Hurry up and catch him. Hurry up. He's mine. Who are the people on the margins? The margins of your life? The marginalized people around you socioeconomically, racially, culturally? Who are the people around you that God keeps putting you around. And you're like, not again. Like, enough with this whatever, right? Maybe God has you there because he's saying, catch them. Are you listening to the Spirit when you are with people who are traditionally marginalized? Are you listening? What is the Spirit saying? How is he leading? How have you been avoiding it? Because it's just too uncomfortable and weird. We will leave a legacy when we can faithfully follow the Spirit's leading with the marginalized. And finally, third moment. We will faithfully, when we will leave a legacy when we are faithfully uh, following the Spirit's leading with the next generation. Now we fast forward. It says after this time with the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip actually, poof, disappears and he's suddenly somewhere else hundreds of miles up north in Caesarea. Doesn't, doesn't explain how, it's just that the Spirit brought him there. He was just in one place, and now he's in another. And the last time we see Philip at this point in Acts, he goes to Caesarea. Now, we don't see him for years as we're reading through Acts. And then all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 21, the story is much more centered on Paul, who's following Jesus now. He's not killing Christians. He's not hunting them. He's leading people to Jesus and now Paul and Luke is writing this, and, and they write this in verse 8 in chapter 21. The next day we went on to Caesarea. This is Luke and Paul and all their companions. We went to Caesarea, and we stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food all those years ago. And he now, he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Look at this guy. Faithful. For years, you don't hear his story. He's out of the spotlight. But some things are really interesting that have happened. This is years later. He's raised four daughters. They're, but the way this passage frames this is their they're adult uh, daughters or, or teenage years. They're getting older in their years. He's had them for a long time. And they had the gift of prophecy. He, he taught his daughters not just about Jesus, but how to walk in their spiritual gifting. How awesome is that? He, he has... He has 
sat around the table with them and shared with them how to follow the Spirit faithfully and what kind of legacy that they get to leave. And not only that, he's called Philip the Evangelist not because he printed his business cards and they say the evangelist on it. The people in the church community of Caesarea say, oh, Philip, you mean the evangelist. People gave him this title because he became so known as this person who was going to go to anyone, no matter who they were, and he was going to share Jesus with them. He was someone they knew was faithful to follow the Spirit's leading no matter where it led him. Whether it led him into situations of uncomfortable injustice, whether it led him to marginalized people, and even in the simple day-to-day job of raising his kids. Oh, the evangelist. So they stayed with the evangelist. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Imagine they're all sitting there around the table by candlelight. It's a few years before electricity. They're sitting there, Philip. Maybe his four daughters are there. His wife. Maybe he's got other kids. Maybe their household, other members from their community, their church. Paul's there. Luke. All these people. And they're sharing stories of following God faithfully. They're the legacy of what God has been doing for the last 20 years. Story after story after story. Just imagine, think about this. Think about Philip saying to his daughters, this is the guy, Paul, I told you about. He's trying to kill me and my friends. And this is how much God loves every person. He's even following Jesus. Think about that exchange. Actually, the uh, early church father, Eusebius, he, 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 uh, he says that Luke got all of these stories about Philip from Philip's four daughters. He's passing on the legacy. Passing on, man, let us tell you, Luke, let us tell you the story about our dad. He left us such a legacy of faithfully following the Spirit. There were really uncomfortable situations. People were trying to to kill us who were Greek-speaking Jews. He he was in these crazy situations. Oh, remember that story he told us about the Ethiopian treasurer? Yeah, he was a eunuch. And he led him to faith. Who knows what he's doing down in Ethiopia now? Remember when dad went to Samaria and they're sharing these stories and and it's impacting not just just because they're sharing these stories talking about how great their dad is. You, You understand how these stories are forming them as children being raised in his house. A lot of times, you know, we joke and we say to our kids, like, do as I do, or do as I say, not as I do. But really, there's, what are we doing in our households? Let's just bring it to the dads for a minute. Like, what are you doing in your households that is creating a legacy? Or maybe I should ask, what are you doing and what kind of legacy are you creating? There's an opportunity this morning to faithfully follow the Spirit. If you're not happy with the course that you're going on, if you're like, I'm not going to leave an inheritance for my children's children, uh, you can change that today. Maybe you're going, huh, I like these things, but there's some things here that I think God's calling me to step into. Or there's some injustice things that I just, I'm quiet about because it's not affecting me. Or maybe there's people that I'm uncomfortable being around or maybe people in our neighborhood that I keep my kids away from because I don't know how to do this. And there's an opportunity to faithfully follow the Spirit into those places and spaces because it is so much more important what we do with our children than what we say actually do. God loves all people. God loves all people. And then they notice. Kids are smart. 
oh, these kinds of people are never around. I never have met someone like this. It's just a label or an identity to me. It's just a, a concept. But until you meet people, you don't actually know. How much could God love this person? How much does God desire for this person to come to him? Children need to learn that from the way their parents act, from how they live. Now, another thing about this, I'll just say one more thing. Um, it is really hard. I have two little girls, so I get this. But it's really hard to not raise your children with the idea of, I just want them to be happy and comfortable. I want them to have everything I didn't have. There's a lot of good in that. And there's great, I want to give my, my girls great opportunities, great experiences. It's so good to do that. But if we make our legacy about creating happiness and comfort, man, do we actually love our kids? We're setting them up to fail. They need to learn how to love the unlovable. There's going to be really dicey situations they're going to face in the future. How are they going to know how to faithfully follow the Spirit? when it gets complicated and messy. It's easy when it's comfortable and happy. But what kind of legacy might God want you to create for your family? Take it beyond the fathers, all the men, all the, all the women, everyone here in your neighborhoods, in your friendships, in your workplaces. What kind of legacy is God calling you to create? What kind of impact are you called to have? God wants to use those spaces, those places, with those that are experiencing injustice, with the marginalized, with reaching out and, and training up the next generation, little kids. God wants to use those spaces to lead you into building a legacy that's going to have an impact on the future. No, no matter what age you are now. You could be three, you could be 93. There's still an opportunity for you just like Alfred Nobel, to change what your legacy is going to be. There is. So how does God want to use you? It might look really bleak right now. You, you might be looking at certain situations like, I think that's where God's calling me, but oh my gosh, this is a disaster. This is dark. This is bleak. But in 50 years from now, what are people going to say that were impacted by you entering into that space? Are they going to say, you know, my grandfather... He paved a different path for our family because he faithfully followed the Spirit's lead. Or maybe they're going to say, yeah, my mom, let me tell you about my mom. She, she showed us how to love people tangibly that were different from us, just like Jesus did. Let me, let me tell you about this youth leader I had. They, they encouraged me uh, to, to share my, my faith and share about the gospel and the good news in a creative, fresh way to my friends. Man, let me, let me tell you about this teacher I had. I, I only had them for one year. But they showed me what Jesus was like. And now I'm following Jesus. What's going to happen 50 years from now because of the legacy you started today? What's going to happen 100 years from now? These, these kids, these, these future adults are going to be saying, man, my life would have been so bleak but for someone in this room that decided that they were going to faithfully follow the Spirit into a really tough situation, a really different situation, but it was where the Spirit was leading. 
Now, for all of us, we, we can be known for the dynamite of death, like Nobel. Or we can allow the Spirit to lead us to be known for the dynamite of the Spirit. That's where that word comes from. When you see power of the Spirit in the Bible, it's the Greek word dunamis. It's where they get the word dynamite from. Power. Power. To leave a legacy. To leave a legacy means we faithfully follow the Spirit into situations of injustice, to the marginalized, and in raising the next generation. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.